The RSVP Trust, changing lives around the world. Hi, my name's Don Egan. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. Uh, today on the podcast, we're going to look at four steps to healing. Sometimes people ask me, you know, where do we begin if we suddenly had some bad news about our health or we're struggling with an ongoing sickness for a long time? Where do we begin? What are the first few steps of faith? So on today's podcast, we're looking at four steps to healing. These are the four initial steps I think we need to take if we're going to see a miracle uh, in our own life, in our health. So God bless you as you listen today. And I'm praying and believing that as you listen, if you have any need for healing, that God will heal you right there where you are. So I want to talk tonight about uh, four steps to healing. Just lately, um, quite a lot of people we, we know, uh, Hazel and I, my wife at the back there, quite a lot of people we know have become ill, some of them quite seriously. Some have had minor ailments um, like coughs and colds. Uh, but we've got a couple of, we've got a relative who's got a very life-threatening illness and also a close friend uh, has been in hospital sort of coughing up blood and it all looked very, very serious. And uh, I was listening to um, the stand-up comedian Milton Jones the other night. I've, I've kind of just discovered him. You may not have, he's not a very well-known comedian, but he makes me laugh anyway. He's a bit surreal. But he was saying about uh, his Aunt Marge. His Aunt Marge has been ill for so long. They've renamed her. I can't believe she's not better. Um <laughs> So I think there are, there are some people who have been ill for a long time. There are some people that suddenly get ill. And then there's uh, the sort of minor stuff. Um, and so I want to look today at four steps we can uh, take to get healing. So I was thinking that if you don't know the Lord or you, you've just come to know him, uh, or you, know, you decide you want to try and get healed by God, what, what would be the first few steps? So that's what I'm looking at. So some of this won't be... Uh, new, but hopefully some of it will. So there's, I think the, f- the four steps begin with uh, number one is to seek. Uh, we must seek the kingdom of God as a number one priority and put it before everything else. If you're going to st- start to think, how can I get healed? How can I get a healing miracle? Uh, Jesus advice for the whole of life, quite apart from healing. <laughs> but Jesus kind of said that this thing doesn't work unless you put the kingdom first. So he said, seek first the kingdom of God. He was talking about all the material things that people chase after, and he specifically mentioned food and clothing. But he said, seek first, uh, in Matthew 6:33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, in, in other words, all these needs, the material things and all the needs that you're chasing. If you seek God's kingdom first, all these things will be added to you. Jesus said. So what's he saying? First of all, it says to seek. Seek is a verb. It was interesting. We had our grandson over the weekend and uh, we helped him do his English homework, although I think it's called something else now, uh, literacy or something. Uh, But we we had to find the verbs in the sentence. And although I've technically written some books, um, I'm not very good at English. There is a lady who... um, puts it into English and make sure it's spelled and uh, reasonably grammatically correct. Uh, so it looks like I can write. So he says, right, well, you know, what, what's a verb? 
So I'm thinking, oh, it was a long time ago since I was sat in an English lesson, but I had a vague idea it was an action word or a doing word. And in this sentence, seek is the action word. To seek is to do something, to attempt to find something that you don't have. And, it, and Jesus said to do that first before doing anything else. So really put that first. Uh, and the thing we're seeking, he said, is the kingdom of God. Um, so it's a, it's a different kingdom. We live in the United Kingdom, but the kingdom of God is a, is a different kingdom. There's a, there's a famous book, I can't remember the title of it now, but it, it, its first line is, uh, uh, the past is a foreign country, things are done differently there. I can't remember the name of the book. But when I, when I read that, I thought, I wish I'd written that. That's a great opening line to a book, isn't it? And, uh, well, the kingdom of God's like that. It's a foreign place to this world, and things are done differently there. So we seek how to do things. Um, I travel about a bit, and you, you, I quite like the different cultures, but you really have to tune in if you go to a, a very different culture, um, how things work, just to get around. The first place I went to uh, in 1993, I'd only ever travelled to Dublin. I'd never been to France or Europe or anywhere because it was full of foreigners. So I wasn't very sort of travelled. <laughs> and suddenly God flings me into this mission in the Philippines, which is, which is not like a European culture that's mildly similar to some things in English, with a few differences. It was radically different. So one day we said to the pastor after we'd been there four days, uh, we, me and my friend said, we'll go into town on our own. And in the Philippines, they have all these ex-army long wheelbase jeeps called jeepneys, which they dress up in garish colours. And that's the main transportation system. And so for a few pennies, you can just get on with everyone else. So uh, we said to him, we, 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 didn't, we don't understand how you, there's no bell like an English bell, so we don't know how you get him to stop when you get to where you want to go. They don't have bus stops. So he says, um, when you want to get off, just look, that you'll see the driver has a big rear view mirror, so you can see everything that's happening on his bus. And when you want to get off, just lean, because you sat down at either side, lean forward and look him in the eye in the mirror and go. <laughs> so we said, is there another way? <laughs> so he said, no, if you don't do that, you won't stop. So uh, we got on the bus, and we noticed that is what people were doing, so... Uh, we were practicing all the way through the trip, looking at each other going. And uh, anyway, we made this noise, uh, which is just a way of getting attention. And if you want the bill in a restaurant, it's the same kind of thing. So after, after two weeks, we, uh, we went, the Philippines is 7,000 islands. So we went to this different island. And uh, the pastor there took us to uh, a restaurant and... Uh, she says, we'll get the bill. So me and my friend, who were now find it very funny to blow kisses at everyone, uh, kind of went, and she frowned and said, don't do that. It's very rude. Who taught you to do that? So we said, well, on the other island, they, everybody does that. She said, you mustn't do that here. It's very rude. So we said, well, what's the method of attracting attention here? And she said, you have to go, whoosh. <laughs> uh, so things were done differently in that kingdom. <laughs> So if you're going to tune into God's kingdom, you need to work out what works in that kingdom. And I don't think oh, really work in the kingdom of God, but they do work in the Philippines. Um, 
God's kingdom contrasts with Satan's kingdom. In John 10.10, Jesus makes it very clear that the thief or Satan comes but to steal, kill and destroy. The devil wants you to be destroyed. That's his plan for your life and always will be. And um, Jesus says that his plan for your life is life in abundance. Uh, life uh, in abundance, more than enough, it means. So there's a, there's a contrast both with this world and with Satan's kingdom. And if you know that Jesus' plan for you is life and more than enough life, you don't have to sit there wondering whether it's God's will for you to be healed. His plan, stated clearly, is life in abundance. Abundance means more than enough. Um, Psalms 40 uh, and verse 1 and 2 is a great picture of the Lord answering prayer. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also broke, brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. Jesus' plan is to rescue us and uh, I've been a Christian over 30 years now and I, he got God rescued me through Jesus out of a, a life of being lost and, and uh, without hope and without uh, po- any point to it. And I've seen him do that in many other people's lives. And I know some of your stories here that you could uh, tell even more dramatic uh, stories about how God rescues us. So when we get news that we might have a, a terminal illness, we need to know that God our Father is there always to rescue us. Um, that's his purpose and plan, so he is the right person to call on. And uh, it says also to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, it doesn't mean that we can, in our own strength, be righteous like Jesus, but it's his righteousness, his way of doing and being right, which comes through Christ coming to live in our hearts. So we begin to seek, that's the first step, we begin to actively pursue and uh, if you've ever met anyone that's thinking of buying a motorbike or, you know, if that's their passion, um, you, you, they'll have a magazine with a picture of the motorbike they're thinking about in it. They'll go and look at one in the garage, you know, and they'll read articles. And if it's on the TV, they'll watch the TV program. So they're actively seeking and meditating on the thing that they're pursuing. That's how we seek things. So it's the same way whatever we're pursuing. So we need to be looking at God's word, uh, thinking about God's word, meditating on God's word, sp- spending our time focusing on that one thing. So step one is to seek. Step two, I would say, is to speak. Words have power. Uh, Have you ever noticed how lots of people, including some Christians, love, it seems to me, to talk about sickness? So someone will say, you know, I've got an ingrown toenail. And the other person will say, well, that's nothing because... You know, my Aunt Gladys has got seven days to live. And then the other person said, well, you know, my Uncle Larry, you know, he, he's about to die any hour. And there's like this competition of who can tell the story of the worst possible illness. And uh, it's interesting that we like, we like to talk about sickness. I don't like talking about sickness. Someone said to me the other day, oh, everyone I know is getting colds and flu. And I said, not everyone, you know, I'm not getting cold and flu. I'm not having it. I'm not having it. I don't mean I just don't have the symptoms. I'm telling you, I'm not having it. Uh, so w- words have power. Proverbs 18.21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
and those who love it will eat its fruit. That's why God tells us to speak positively. In Joel chapter 3, verse 10, uh, we're instructed to let, let the weak say, I'm strong. And he's really talking about uh, making your agricultural implements into weapons. So this is a call to war. And sometimes when the devil comes at us with sickness, uh, an injury and disease, uh, it's warfare, is warfare. We can't be, it's like having a snake climbing up your leg. You can't, you know, just say, please go away, because it won't go away. You've really got to get violent with it. Uh, and the weapons in the kingdom are, is the word of God and uh, putting that word in our mouth. And there are various stories about people who use words, and Jesus was very careful with his words. But one of my favorites is the woman uh, with the internal bleeding in Mark 5, with the issue of blood. And uh, it says... Uh, in verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed uh, from the affliction. Now, Jesus wasn't doing a ministry time. He was on the way to the house of Jairus, if you remember the story. There was a, a little girl dying. So he was on the way somewhere. Uh, but it's interesting, and you, you'll know if you've been in church any length of time, she, sh she shouldn't have been in public according to the law because of this issue of blood. But I I'm interested in the way she got healed. First, she said, so she had believed something, she'd sought the kingdom, she'd heard about Jesus, and uh, she was actively, physically seeking, walking along behind the king of the kingdom, and she said... If I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. That's, a, that's the weak saying, I'm strong, isn't it? Um, she didn't say, he might pray with me or I might get healed. She said, if I touch the hem of his garment, I shall be healed. And it's interesting, I was thinking lately, if you look at the rabbis of the time, which is what Jesus was, they, they did walk around with a prayer shawl kind of hanging down the back. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us, so I'm slightly speculating, but I tried to picture this woman coming through the crowd and all the hustle and bustle around him. And I just wonder if this prayer shawl that Jesus had put on his head each day as he prayed, was that actually the, that was the garment that she touched? And uh, uh, that would be quite a powerful garment. I'm not into relics or uh, uh, the bones of saints doing miracles, but, but you know, that, that's something, isn't it, to touch uh, the clothes that Jesus prayed in. So she was speaking faith before she got a miracle. She was seeking the kingdom and she was speaking that she shall be made well. And surprise, surprise, she got healed. And we know that Jesus uh, restored her. The third step, I would say, is to stand. We've had seek and speak. I would say the third one is to stand. Um, I remember years ago when I became a Christian, uh, I I, I went to church in the first instance because my friend told me that someone got healed. I was a bit surprised at in a church. But anyway, I went along and uh, they prayed for the sick most weeks in this Church of England church. But I remember once, this is going back to the late 70s, I remember being asked to be one of the people that prayed and I didn't know anything about healing or any of the stuff I'm talking about at all. I just, I was shooting in the dark thinking, you know, he said lay hands on the sick and something will happen, possibly. 
So, and we'd seen some people healed, and it seemed to come when we did this. So it was that vague, really. Uh, but I remember a man who was praying at the time for this person that we were laying hands on, and he said, Lord, take the sickness from them and put it on to me. And I didn't know all this stuff, but as soon as he said that, I thought, well, you, you can have it. I, <laughs> I don't want it. And I thought, I don't think that's right. I don't know my Bible very well, but I don't think that's right. Well, it isn't right because Jesus took it all on himself. It says in Matthew 8, 17, that he bore our sicknesses and our infirmities. So we need to understand a little bit about this covenant agreement that Jesus has bore all the sickness. So we're coming to uh, smack the devil about a bit when we pray for healing, uh, give him a bad time, rough him up a bit, and get him to take his hands off. Uh, what belongs to God and off our bodies. And it's on the basis of this covenant agreement that God has made, a contract between God and mankind, and it's been signed in the blood of his son. So it's not, um, you know, because the devil will say, well, you know, this, that, and the other, about you to try and put you off having faith for praying. But it's not about me or you. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus He's paid the price for our healing. So, it, you know, wherever we are with God, whether, as Paul said, we're full of the Holy Spirit on fire or we're struggling a bit today, when we come to pray, it's irrelevant. Jesus said, lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. So, and he didn't actually tell the disciples to go and pray with the sick. He said, heal the sick, raise the dead. <laughs> there wasn't any option that people wouldn't be healed. And uh, we know that they had trouble with a boy with a demon. Um, and so they were learning as they went along, uh, along. But in Jesus' mind, he said, heal the sick, not pray for the sick. So um, he ministered to the sick and he spoke words over them. Uh, but it's based on this covenant. It cost God everything to bring about this, this wonderful covenant of salvation, to rescue what the devil stole uh, out of God's creation and uh, it purchased everything for us. That God couldn't have given more than he gave. He gave his most prized possession, Jesus, his son. And Jesus was so perfect. So it purchased everything. And you can't do anything to earn it. It's a gift. It's a gift. God doesn't accept bribes. I don't know if you've ever seen a, a, an old f comedy film with uh, Burt Reynolds called The End. Um, it's quite a dark comedy because it's about him deciding to commit suicide. But there's a section in the film where uh, he tries all sorts of ways and he just makes a mess of it. And he's put in a, a psychiatric hospital and meets a lot of other people who advise him how to commit suicide. As I said, it's a very dark film. But there's a great scene that I'm referring to where he swims out to sea and his plan is to swim so far out to sea he can't get back. And he's swimming and swimming and he's sort of saying all the things that are wrong with his life and saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And then he gets out where he thinks it's too far to get back and panics and suddenly thinks, I don't want to die. <laughs> and he turns around, but now he's, he's like a mile out to sea and he starts swimming back and he says to God, uh, if you save me today, if you let me get back to the shore, I'll give you 100% of everything. Uh, all my life, all my money, 100% if you just let me get back to the shore. And a little while later, and he's praying to God, he sees that now he's sort of a half mile away. 
It could be possible. So he said, as I said, God, 90% of everything, if you help me get back to the shore. And of course, the closer it gets, the lower the percentage comes around. And of course, when he gets back, he forgets God altogether. So God doesn't accept bribes. It's a gift. We don't need to uh, be doing those bargaining prayers with God. Uh, so the covenant is summed up in a few verses. Uh, probably the most famous one is Isaiah 53, 5, that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought our peace was upon him. And by his stripes or his wounds, we are healed. That's how we're healed by his <laughs> wounds. In other words, he's paid the price. Um, Psalm 103 Two and three, I've quoted them many times. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases. Those are the benefits of the covenant. That's why we bless the Lord. These are the things that he's purchased for us, that we can have all our iniquities, all our wrongdoing forgiven and heal all our diseases. So we're not trying to force God's hand but we're seeking his face and we believe that we should receive and we receive in our heart. So number one, seek, speak, put some words coming out of your mouth of faith, stand on what God has already done. It's not that we're trying to convince God that he needs to do it, but it's something that God has already done. And then fourth and finally, uh, stay, never give up, as Winston Churchill said. So how long do we take to teach a child to walk? A month, two months, a year? Well, we keep teaching them till they walk, <laughs> as long as it takes. So we don't, we don't try for a month and think, oh, this one's never going to walk, we'll leave it. <laughs> or this one's never going to talk, can't get any words out, or forget that, and just be someone that doesn't talk. No, you keep going until you get the breakthrough in that wonderful moment when the child walks across the living room floor or whatever it is, or says the first uh, words. So... Uh, As long as it takes, we stay. Um, Paul said in Ephesians 6, when he's talking about the armour of God, that you stand in this, and he uses the word stand about six times. Stand in the armour of God, stand with the helmet of salvation, and when you've done all, stand, stand therefore. And he keeps saying, in other words, there may be a moment when you don't feel you're making any advance, just like World War I at the front line where my granddad, they fought over this, sort of few hundred yards and nobody was advancing but what they did and what he did and got a medal for was he stood his ground at that time and sometimes we might be under such a terrific attack that all we can do today is to stand and not give ground and uh, we need to do that and uh, stand still uh, until God brings about that manifestation Um, in uh, Mark 5 35, we read the tail end of that other story when Jesus gets to the house of Jairus. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James and the brother Uh, John and the brother of James. So it's interesting, it's when Jesus heard the negative word, she's dead. As soon as he heard that, he said to him, only believe. In other words, don't give up. Keep believing. We've just heard that negative report. 
which was actually true, she had died. Uh, but he says, don't give up, only believe. And uh, notice he only takes Peter, James and John, those were the closest disciples to him. And he put out all the weeping, wailing relatives. What was he doing? He was only taking in with him four people of faith. Jairus had faith because he'd come to Jesus and said, my daughter's dying. So he had faith and Jesus was helping him not to waver, even though it was looking very bleak. And uh, Peter, James and John were his closest people that he'd mentored, that they'd been with him through many things and seen all sorts of things happening, the dead rays and the the lame walking and the feeding of the 5,000. So he took only people of faith with him. So the room is filled with faith. And uh, maybe if we're struggling and we're trying to do this thing of standing and staying, uh, we need to gather people of faith uh, around us. And then secondly in this point is what we need to be careful what moves us. There's a, one of my favorite passages in, in the Bible is Acts 20, 22. Um, and Paul's kind of painting this scary picture. I'm so glad I don't have his calling. But he, he said, see now, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await <laughs> me. I really don't want that word. But, but Paul got that word, and uh, he was still going. And then he says these wonderful things. So tribulation and chains, prison, I'm going to get beaten up, and I'm, and I'm still going. Uh, and then he says, but none of these things move me. He wasn't moved by the attacks and the chains and the imprisonment. What moved him was the Holy Spirit. What moved him was what God had said about his calling and his situation. So we don't need to be moved. That's what Jesus was saying to Jairus. Don't be moved by that message that your daughter's died. Don't let that move you because, you know, you'll go under and you'll lose the faith that you've come with. But stay uh, and let yourself be moved by the counsel of God, which is why we need to be with God in the stillness uh, as often as we can. So... Those, I think, are the four steps if we're trying to get a miracle. Seek the kingdom, speak the word, stand on the covenant, and stay uh, in faith. And uh, we will raise our faith when we just let the word of God speak to us by reading it. Proverbs 4.20, very well-known words. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. So I believe God's going to come and minister to, to us now because he said that these signs will follow those that believe. They'll lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. Hi, if you want to connect with us on uh, Twitter and Facebook, uh, Facebook is www.facebook.com forward slash RSVP Don Egan, or one word. Uh, and on Twitter, it's Don underscore Egan with a capital D, capital E. It'd be good to connect with you. I just there. want you to know that we have uh, my new book is coming out in January 2011. It's called Healing is Coming, and uh, that's a guide to healing, health, and well-being. 
and you can pre-order that now. It's not out till the 24th of January, but you can pre-order that on the website www.rsvptrust.co.uk. Uh, you'll see a link on the main page there. So do have a look at that. Healing is coming, and uh, the book is coming on the 24th of Jan. Thanks for listening today. Do drop me a line. Uh, email is don at rsvptrust.co.uk. I pray that God uh, keeps you in good health and you have a long, strong, healthy life. In Jesus' name. Amen. The RSVP Trust. Changing lives around the world.